today, before we get into the text, I want you to take an insert out of your bulletin. <coughs> it says the table challenge, and, and this is where I want to begin uh, this morning. Last week, we ended the sermon with this challenge, uh, and I wanted to give it to you in writing. And I want to challenge you as a, just a practical way that we can respond to the word that God is speaking to us this month. I want to challenge you to, to take this challenge personally for yourself. And, and you can see there's, there's, three, uh, there's three parts to it. The first is that we pray before every meal. That's something every one of us can and should do. And I just want to encourage you to make that, uh, make that a part of your daily uh, pattern. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Pray before every meal. And as you gather at the table with your family to pray, I want to encourage you to look at the prayer focus for this first week. That we pray for unity and love in your family. How many of you believe that if we would spend uh, a little bit of time at breakfast and at lunch and at dinner praying for unity in our family, that that might have an impact on the atmosphere of our home. That's going to that's gonna impact the atmosphere of our home. You know, I, I have found personally that I have a hard time being mad at people that I'm praying for. And sometimes the, the easiest way to resolve conflict is just to begin to be an intercessor. When I begin to pray, when I begin to lift up uh, my spouse, my children, when I begin to lift up my church family, when I begin to lift up co-workers... To the Lord in prayer, I have a hard time being angry with them because my heart is moved uh, for their good. My heart is moved with the things that move God's heart. And so I want to challenge you to do that. Pray at every meal. And this week, the prayer focuses for unity and love in your family. The second uh, facet of this challenge is that we share a meal with your family at least three times per week. Now, for some of you, you have dinner together almost every night. This is not a challenge for you. But many of us, it is. You know, you, you, maybe you work different shifts. Uh, maybe the kids are coming and going to sports or activities. And, and maybe you've just fallen into a pattern uh, as a family of, you know, just kind of come home, grab a plate, and, and one goes to their room, and one sits at the table, and one goes to the, the living room and turns on the TV. But we're challenging you this month to take three meals every week and to say, we're going we're gonna to come together, we're going to sit down at the table, and the third part of that is, when we do it, we're going to remove all the distractions. We're not going to just sit and, and play on our phones or, uh, or play with iPods or devices or, or watch TV. No, we're going to actually come together and share a meal and share conversation as a family. And so I want to challenge you, again, as we did at the end of the service last week, to make this a priority. And... Though this isn't my message today, I want to begin with a, a, a word that has to do with this. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. <clears throat> I, I want you to see this verse because I, as I was praying for you this week and as I was uh, praying about this table challenge, there's, there's a word that the Lord wanted me to, to share with you out of this text. It's in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to read two verses, verse 9 and 10. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the pew backs you can borrow. We'll put this verse on the screen here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Look at it with me. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Can I just tell you that that's the testimony of every saved believer today. That there was a time where you had not received mercy, but thank God now you have. There was a time when you were not the people of God, but now you are. Now, I had debated giving a whole week in this series to this one text. And, and, and I'm not going to do that, but I want you... Th- this may be the word that you need to hear today. So just at the beginning of this message, hear what the Lord is saying to us about leading our homes, about coming around the table, about doing something as simple as as this table challenge, just as a means, as a vehicle for stepping into your responsibility and my responsibility in our homes. Here's what the Bible says that you are, dads, moms. The Bible says that you are a chosen people. You are prophets, you are priests, and you are kings in your own home. Moms, dads, we are called to be the prophets, the priests, and the kings in our own homes. He says, you are royal in that verse. You're royal. We're royalty. He said, we're a a priesthood that we may declare. There's something prophetically that God wants you to declare over your own house. There's something that God wants you to declare in your own home, over your own kids. Now, let me just break this down quickly for you. He said, we're, we're prophets. And what he means by we're prophets is a prophet hears what God says and then speaks on God's behalf. That's your responsibility in the home, to hear what God is saying and to speak on God's behalf, to take the the mantle of the prophethood of the believer and to lead your family in such a way as to say, this is what God is saying for us. This is what God wants us to do. You know, as a prophet in your own home, you can speak to the destiny of your children. You can speak to the plans that God has for them. You can look... uh, at, at their life and, and husbands, you can look at your wives and you can speak life and destiny towards them, to the things that you see in them, to the things that maybe they don't even see in themselves. You understand that that's a spiritual role that we take on when we become the encouragers to, to prophesy in the New Testament is really to just give a, a word of encouragement, exhortation, or comfort. That's what the gift of prophecy is. A lot of us, we're afraid to operate in the gift of prophecy because we, you know, we, we think we have to foretell something. Well, the office of a prophet in the Old Testament would foretell the future. But the gift of prophecy that God has given us is just to bring words of edification, exhortation, and comfort. And God has called you to be a prophet in your own home. To begin to speak life, to begin to lead your family, to begin to, to see the things that God is saying about them and to raise them up. God wants us to raise up spiritual champions in our home. And it's our responsibility. It's my responsibility as the dad to speak that word, to speak life prophetically. Now, we're priests, the Bible says, the priesthood of the believer. Now, we know in the Old Testament and throughout Scripture what the priest did. The priest would offer prayers on behalf of the people. The priest would go and offer uh, uh, sacrificial offerings and and worship on behalf of the people. In fact, there's a beautiful picture in the Old Testament of of what the priest would do. When they would go into the presence of the Lord, they they would put on an outer garment that had 12 stones. And each of those 12 stones on their garment represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And the names of the tribes of Israel were engraved on those stones. And so literally, when they went before the Lord, they were bringing the names of their children. They were bringing the names of the children of Israel before God. 
So I want to challenge you with this table challenge to understand that God has called you to not only uh, the prophethood of the believer, but to the priesthood of the believer, that you can lead spiritually. And as you pray with your family over your meals, it doesn't have to just be, you know, God, thank you for this food. But you can bring your family before the Lord. You can intercede for them. There's power. I'm going to tell you, there's power, spiritual life and strength when your family hears you praying for them. Now, I know I'm not getting a lot of amens yet, but I I hope you're hearing me because some of you have never done this. You've never done this before. You love God. Your family loves God. You attend church, but you've never stepped into your role as the priest of your home. And God wants to challenge you to do that in this week. As you join around the table, as you take hands with your family, don't just, don't just pray over the meal, but begin to pray over their lives. Begin to lift your family, lead your family into the presence of God. Now, you don't have to have church at the table. I'm not talking about, you know, preaching to your family. But as you pray for them, speak life over them. Pray God's will be done in their hearts. Pray that God's will would be established. Pray that they would... Uh, have ears to hear the Lord, that they would be quick to respond to the Lord. That's your responsibility. And thirdly, he's called us to be kings. He's called us to be kings. The Bible says we are co-heirs with Christ Jesus. That's what the word says. We are co-heirs with, with Christ. Romans 8 says this. Listen to this verse. It says, now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The Bible says we're co-heirs with Christ. We are called to share in the glory of God. In Revelation 1, the Bible says this about Jesus. It says, he has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. God's called you to be a king in your home. That doesn't mean a dictator. That doesn't mean that you, 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 know, you rule over your family. Uh, but with your kingship in your home, it means that you've been given authority and it means you've been given responsibility. You've been given the authority. And, and part of our responsibility in that authority is that, is that we would submit to the king of kings. Jesus is the king of of kings and we're those kings he's the lord of lords and and he taught his disciples how to pray with these words he said your kingdom come your will be done it's our responsibility to lead the way in that in our homes to say god let your will be done in my home god let your kingdom come in the earth in this family at this table even as it is in heaven that's our responsibility The Bible gives us a picture of what God's kingdom is like. And and I just want to challenge you throughout this week and throughout this table challenge to lead your home, to lead your home, and to not be intimidated by the enemy who would love to say to you, you're you're no priest, (laughs) you're not a priest in your home, Uh, you blow it, you've screwed up too many times. Don't, don't try to be the spiritual leader in your home. Your family knows you're no spiritual leader. Your family knows about your mistakes. Your family knows about uh, your hang-ups. And, and, and how are you going to try to be a spiritual leader today when you lost your temper yesterday? See, the enemy wants to lie. He wants to, he wants to rob us of the authority that God has given us in our homes. 
And I want to challenge you that God has called you a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, the Bible says. He has called us to declare something. And it starts in our homes. So moms and dads, I just want you to receive that word today. And as you take this challenge, uh, take it personally and say, God, use me. Use me to lead my home. Use me to be a priest that carries the names of my family before your throne, that offers sacrificial worship. I often pray this, God, because I, I bear the names of my daughters on my heart, just like the priest wore the garment, even if I'm not praying for them, God, let me bring their names into your presence. Even if I'm not praying for them, God, because I'm here in your presence and, I, and their names are on my heart, God, bring them before your throne continually. God wants to use you in that way. I, b- I believe that so strongly, that, that that's a word for some of our families, that God wants to use you to become the prophet, the priest, and the king in your home, and that you would be a king under the order of Jesus. Do you receive that word today? Amen. Now this morning, I want to talk to you about a table. We've been in this series looking at a few different tables. Week one, we talked about the church being a table, and uh, we talked about how that table stands on four legs of evangelism, of compassion, of the worship of God, all, all of these legs, uh, uh, discipleship being the fourth leg, all of these legs bringing balance to the table. It's so important that as a church that we're, that we're balanced in the things that God's called us to do. And last week, we talked about what Martin Luther called the Haustoffel, the house table. It was that code uh, or that standard of social behavior in the home, the house table, how we relate to one another. And today, I, I just want to talk about a table. And if you've got your Bible, would you go with me to Matthew chapter 22? <clears throat> I don't intend to be long today, but I want to encourage you uh, in that God, through this message, is offering us an invitation. What I want to say to you today is not so much about uh, insight or new knowledge, but it's an opportunity to respond. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord today. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells a parable of what the kingdom of God is like. In the first 14 verses there, he tells the story, and many of you are familiar with it, but he begins saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So he's going to have a banquet for his son. And the story goes that he invited all the guests. He sent his servants to go out and invite the guests to come to the banquet. And as we look at this story, down in verse 5, it says, But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest... They seized the servants, mistreated them, and killed them. And the king was enraged. He sent his army, and he destroyed those murderers, and he burned their city. And then he said this to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone that you find. So the servants went out into the streets, and they gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Can I tell you that this is the picture of the gospel right here. That this is a whosoever will may come gospel. 
that Jesus, God is throwing a banquet for his son. The Bible gives us a picture of that in, in Revelation 19 at the wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That his house will be full. And the gospel first came to the Jews. And they rejected the prophets. And they rejected John the Baptist. And they crucified the Lord. And so he said, this is what's going to happen. Those that, that the banquet was for were not fit to come. But this banquet is a whosoever will may come. And so because I want my house to be full, I'm going to send my servants out to the highways and the byways, to the Gentiles, to those that are far off, the good and the bad, he said. Not just those that were born into the right family, not those that were deserving. I just want my house to be full. So I want you to extend the invitation far and wide. This is the gospel. And I want you to know who you and I are in the story. We were, not, we were not originally on the guest list. We were not those that were originally on the list. No, when it gets down to the part about inviting the good and the bad, that's where we come in. We're the undeserving ones. We're the ones that don't deserve to be there. And yet, look at verse 11 with me in the story. <coughs> when he, the king, came in to see the guest, he noticed a man... There, who was not wearing wedding clothes, he asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. What in the world is he saying by doing this? First, he goes and he extends the invitation to whoever. He says, look, you know, no, no criteria. I just want the house to be full. So invite everybody to come and be a part of this feast. And then when the feast actually happens, he sees a man who's not wearing the right clothes. And he, he has him bound hand and foot and cast out. And that's a picture, again, of the gospel. The fact that any of us can come, but the Bible says that we have to be robed in his righteousness. And it was customary in that day that they would receive a garment for the banquet. And this man wasn't wearing the right garment. And yes, you can come, no matter where you're coming from, or what your story has been, or what your history has been. You can come to the banquet, but you have to wear the right garment. We have to come through Jesus. The Bible says, though our sins be as scarlet, he washes them and makes them whiter than snow. We put on Christ. And when we do that, we have a seat at this banquet. We have an opportunity to come and to partake of the table of the Lord. Now, in, in that day and age, there was, it was customary that there would be two invitations. One was the original invitation to come to the banquet. And then the second invitation was to say, everything's ready. The food's prepared. Come on in. That was the, the custom of the day. But in this story that Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. He didn't just send out one invitation or two invitations. He sent out three invitations. And that, again, is a picture of, of the way that Jesus uh, beckons us and, and calls us time and time again. The reality is, you might be here this morning hearing the gospel for the third time. Or maybe the 30th time. But if you've never really accepted the gospel, if you've never really received the invitation to come to the table and to eat and to partake of the life that he offers you, in his grace, he's offering it again. Even this morning, in his grace, he's saying, you can come to this table. You can come 
to this table, there's another invitation yet to be given because he's abounding in grace towards us. The truth is, as the people of God, we look forward to the day when we can gather at the table of the Lord. We look forward to the day when we can eat with him in his physical presence. But what I want to say to you this morning, and what I really want you to, to, to hear as an invitation today, is that we don't have to wait until that day to enjoy the table of God's presence. We don't have to wait until that moment where we are ushered in to his presence for all eternity and we sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. In fact, I want to encourage you today to receive the invitation that God is preparing a table for us. God is preparing a table for us right now, even this morning. And we don't have to wait. In fact, go with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation Jesus writes letters to the seven churches. And one of those churches is the church of Laodicea. And as we look at this text, (coughs) you can see here that there are some issues with the church of Laodicea. And maybe you see yourself in this church and in all of the churches we've probably reflect some of these characteristics, but, but the church of Laodicea was a church that was wealthy. They felt like they had everything they needed. Look at it with me in Revelation 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis, I'm sorry, verse uh, 14. To the angel <coughs> of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, this is what they said about themselves. He says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize That you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear. So that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest. And repent. Now, now hear this this morning. This is the Lord speaking to one of his churches. These are Christians. These are believers. This is not lost people. And the attitude of this church is we've got it all figured out. We've got it together. We love the Lord. But everything is, is fine. He says the way you see yourself is rich, wealthy. The way, the way you see yourself is so far from what I see in you. What I see in you is that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And his counsel is that they come to him to buy gold refined in the fire. That they come to him, that they not not put their, uh, their hope or their confidence in the things of the world that they have, 
but that they put their hope in Jesus. And here's what I want to say to you, because this may be your life. The Lord is preparing a table, and I'm about to read what he invites them to. He's preparing a table, and there are many people who come in, and, and, and they'll sit in the service this morning. And in their heart, they'll feel like they've got it all together. And I believe the Lord would say to some of us the same thing that he says to them. You don't see your spiritual condition. You don't realize how important it is that you come to the table that I've prepared for you this morning. Look at verse 20 with me. He says, here I am. Again, he's speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to lost people. We often quote this verse when we're talking about salvation. But he says to the church, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He's, he's offering an incredible invitation. He wants to sit at a table with us. He says, I'm knocking. I'm knocking. Not at the world's door. Not at the lost person's heart. I'm knocking at the heart of those that I love. I'm knocking at the heart of those that, that claim to be mine, that, that claim to walk in, in truth. I'm knocking at your heart's door. And if you hear me, if you hear me and if you'll let me in, I'll come in and I'll eat with you. That's the table that God wants to invite us to today. He's inviting us to a table that we can come and we can eat with him. We can have fellowship with him today. And I want to tell you again, not so much a message of, revelation but an invitation if god is inviting us and this is the one thing that just gripped my heart as we i prepared for this weekend that god wants to invite you all of us to come to his table to come to his table and to receive to receive from him here's what the word says in psalms sixteen eleven. it says you make known to me the path of life you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is what the Lord does in his presence. He fills us with joy, eternal pleasures at his right hand. This is what the Lord does. The Bible says in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Hear me today. The greatest thing that you can do for your family, the greatest thing that you can do for your household, is every day to pull up a seat at the table that the Lord is preparing for you. To pull up a seat at the table of the Lord's presence. To hear Him saying to you, I'm knocking on your heart's door. I'm asking to come in. And if you'll hear my voice today, if you'll respond to me and you'll, you'll come, I'll eat with you. I'll fellowship with you. I'll meet you in a powerful way. The greatest thing that you can do today is to receive the invitation to come to the table of the Lord. Turn with me to Psalm 23. I want to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture, one that has often been quoted, one that has carried people through very dark and difficult days. <coughs> Psalm 23. Let's just read it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. 
Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now many of you have memorized that portion of scripture. It's been something that you've quoted. Times when maybe you felt like you were walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Times where you needed to be reminded that the Lord was close to you. I want to tell you this, this is a very powerful psalm. And the reason it's so powerful is because it's so personal. I mean if we, even if we just had the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I mean, that's enough right there. This is such a personal psalm that the Lord is my shepherd. I just have one shepherd. You know, as as David wrote this psalm, the Egyptians had some 360 gods. They had one for every day on their calendar. The, The Canaanites who lived in the region, they had many gods, multiple deities that they worshiped and people that they elevated to a level of deity. And yet David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm going to tell you, when we say the Lord is my shepherd, that is an act of faith. That's an act of great faith. When you say the Lord is my shepherd, you're understanding that he's the one that leads me and guides my life. He's the one that directs me. He's the one that causes me to lie down beside still waters and in green pastures. He's the leader of my life. It's an act of faith to just say that the Lord is my shepherd. But I want to tell you, when he says that you are my sheep, That's an act of mercy. That's an act of God's grace. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus said in in John 14. In in John 10, verse 14, he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. The Lord is our shepherd. And there's something that he wants to do for us. Verse 5 says, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Let me ask you this question. Who prepares the table at your house? I mean, this one, uh, I think Val prepared this table. But in in my house, we kind of share the responsibility. Sometimes I do it. Usually we let the girls prepare the table. But a lot of times, who prepares the table is determined by who's coming for dinner. I mean, if it's just us, you know, we'll, we'll just throw some paper plates down and and, uh, you know, grab a bottle of water and stick that out. You know, it's just, let's just serve. But I, I was thinking this week about the first Christmas dinner that we hosted uh, as newlyweds, my wife and I. The first time that, that we hosted a Christmas dinner at our house uh, and, and my wife set the table. And, and it, it just blew me away. I mean, I, I, I guess I hadn't really thought about it leading up to it. But, but when I came into the, into the dining room and I saw this table... It was immaculate. I mean, there, there were candles. There were there was, uh, holly branches uh, intertwined or, around the, the place setting there. She had even taken uh, lemons and cut the top off and, and hold them out and put little tea candles inside and then put cloves all around it so that as they, they burned, you could smell the lemon and the cloves. I mean, it looked like Martha Stewart had crashed our home. It was It was amazing. She set the table in a very special way because 
it was a significant, significant moment for us. It was, it was a special meal. And so who sets the table is an indication of, of who the guest is and the priority of the guest. And this verse, look at it. This verse, verse 5, says you prepare a table. You prepare a table. God, God actually sets this table for you. Now, I don't know if that amazes you or not, but I mean, this is a job that angels could have handled, I'm sure. I'm sure he could have gotten somebody else to do it, but the Bible says that he prepares a table for us. That tells me I must be pretty special. I, I must be an honored guest. I must be pretty significant to the shepherd if he himself is going to set the table for me. And by the way, this isn't just a small little meal or some light fare. That word that, that we have as table means a spread. I mean, this is a full course meal. And as you read through the 23rd Psalm, and, and we could spend a lot of time looking at all six verses, but I just want to look at this one. But as you read the 23rd Psalm, it begins with the metaphor of the shepherd and sheep. But right here at verse 5, it changes from shepherd and sheep to host and guest of honor that all of a sudden we are the guest of honor at a table that he himself is preparing you know as you look through the scriptures serving a meal was one of the ultimate acts of friendship it it had more significance than it does in our day and age in our day and age i mean it's still significant to us but but we lose some of the significance of it in biblical times, it was, it was the ultimate mark of friendship. You remember the story of Zacchaeus when, when Jesus called him to come down out of the tree and, and he forgave him of his sins. What did Zacchaeus do? He, he threw a banquet for Jesus and he invited all of his friends to come and to celebrate because he was so honored that Jesus would receive him. And you remember Lazarus that had died and Jesus showed up four days later and, and he rose him back to life. He rose him from the dead. And, and what did Lazarus do? He threw a banquet for Jesus and he invited all of his guests to come. He said, you need to come and we're going to have this great feast for the Lord. <coughs> and consider the fact that our Lord is preparing a feast for us. He's preparing a table for us. We're the honored guests at his table this morning. And can I just tell you that it, it's God's nature to want to serve. It's his nature to want to, to serve you. We see it all, all through scripture. In fact, in John chapter 13, the Bible tells of a significant moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. In John 13, the Bible says in verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave his world And go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So here's Jesus on the night of his betrayal. He's about to go to the cross. The Bible says he loved them to the end. How did he demonstrate that love? Look at it with me. Verse 2 says the evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power, and that He had come from God, and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, 
took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the, with the towel that was wrapped around him. Can you, can you picture this moment? This is, not, this is not in spite of his deity. This is not in spite of the fact that Jesus was fully God as well as fully man. The Bible says he knew he had all authority and power. The Bible says he knew that he had come from God and that he was returning back to God. And because he knew who he was and the power that he possessed, he got up from the meal and he served. He served them. Look at another instance with me in John 21, just a, a few chapters over. John 21. The Bible says in verse 9, the disciples had been out fishing all night. They had caught nothing. And verse 9 says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Look down at verse 12 at the invitation. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So here's the disciples, you know, they had, they had ran, they had fled on the night of Jesus' crucifixion. They didn't really know where to go from there. They knew their Savior was, was dead, and so they went back to what they knew. They went back to fishing. And so here they are fishing all night, and they're catching nothing. And then they hear a voice call out from the shore, it's Jesus. And what is he doing? He's serving them a meal. He's not reprimanding them, saying, I can't believe you guys are back here fishing. I can't believe you guys left. Why are the women the only ones that showed up? And John, why, where were the rest of you? No, he's not doing that. He goes to his own, those that love him, those that have committed their hearts to them, and he knocks, and he invites, and he says, if you hear my voice, if you'll come, you can eat with me. And from the shore... There's Jesus with a campfire and with fish. He's making breakfast. The Bible says they knew it was him. They knew it was him because they recognized the quality of the servant son of God. They recognized the qualities that Philippians 2 talks about. When it says, who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Or to use it to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself of nothing taking on the very form of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus wants to serve you. Think about that. He wants to prepare a table where you can come and where you can receive of His presence. There in Psalm 23, verse 5, it says, He, the Lord, prepares a table. The Lord prepares a table. Before me. But there's something unique about this table. Because it says he prepares a table for me. In the presence of my enemies. Now I would just rather it say that God prepares a table for me. In a hidden place. In a secret place where my enemies can't find me. I would rather it say that, that God is going to prepare a table for me. That my enemies can't find. And there is a table prepared for us just like that. And we'll be at that table one day. 
But this is the table that he prepares for us today. And the Bible says that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. And so long as we're in this world, we have to deal with the issues of this world. We have to deal with the temptations of this world. We have to deal with the hatred that is going on in this world. Maybe you saw the news this week. I, I, I saw the headline of a, of a pastor in Minneapolis who got up one morning uh, earlier this week to go for a jog. And while he was gone, someone broke into his house, shot his wife in the head. His one-year-old son was upstairs and she was pregnant with their second child. I read articles like that and I just shake my head in disbelief. This is the world we live in. And I'm sure a lot of people would ask questions, why? Why would God allow that? This young church planner, this young pastor that's just trying to serve the Lord and do the best he can. And then just a day later, we get the news that there's been a terrorist attack in Paris and that over 100 people have lost their life and over 300 have been injured as terrorists were systematically shooting and and killing people. I'm reminded when I look at all that stuff that, that we're surrounded by enemies. Even in your own life, you, you have enemies that you face. Some are without and some are within like your own lustful desires that you wage war against and you want to be free from. Like addiction that you battle against and and you fall into the pattern that we see in Romans of those things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. And you find yourself in, in that difficult place of battling. You're surrounded by enemies. I'm surrounded by enemies. And yet we we have this incredible promise that He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Again, a lavish table. A table where my needs can be met. A table where I can be replenished and refreshed. Lieutenant Carey H. Cash is the chaplain for the United States Marines. He wrote a book that's titled... A table in the presence of my enemies. And I was reading that book. In March of 2003, just before 20,000 coalition forces moved in Iraq to take down Saddam Hussein's regime. All of the department heads in the different branches of the military that were a part of that coordinated attack were together under one tent for the last time. It's the last time they'd all be together alive. And it was there that Cash was asked to offer a prayer in that moment as a chaplain. He was asked to offer a prayer. And he said, as he bowed his head, these words came flooding to my soul. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And he would later write about that in his book, that moment. And he said this. He said, the table that David longed for in the presence of his enemies, was the table of God's presence. It amounted to a feast of spiritual strength and friendship that no degree of danger and no amount of evil could infringe upon. Can I just tell you today that I I believe that's the table the Lord wants to invite us to. A table of his presence. 
in his presence. Where, where no amount of, of evil with, around us or even evil that wants to prevail within us can stand against us. The Bible says this in, in Romans <coughs> chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, if I, if I have a seat at the table of God's presence, it doesn't matter what enemies surround me. If, if, I, if I hear His voice calling, and I hear His hand gently knocking on my heart's door, and I respond to that, then it doesn't matter what evil comes against me. Whether it's the desires of my own flesh, the temptations of the enemy coming against me, or whether it's others that would want to do harm to me. There is a table that I can come to, even in the presence of my enemies. On my darkest day, in my weakest moment, I can come to this table of God's presence. And He fills me up. He, he satisfies me. He refreshes me. And the question that I just want to ask you today is, what do you need? What do you lack? Are you like the Laodicean church that says, I don't like anything. I'm good. I lack nothing. Or can we be humble enough to open our eyes to see our own frailty, our own weakness, our own limitations, and understand that the Lord has prepared a table for us today in the presence of our enemies. And here's how we're going to end this service. I just want to invite you to the Lord's table. Usually when we say that, we're talking about communion. But we're not taking communion today. I want to invite you to the table of the Lord's presence. And whatever you need, whatever you lack today, I want to invite you to just come and receive from Him. It says not only does He prepare a table for me, but He anoints my head with oil. That was customary at a banquet to do for guests. The oil signifies gladness and joy. God, God wants to give you that today. He doesn't want to just meet your needs. He wants to restore your joy. He wants to give you Hope and fullness of gladness today. He wants to anoint your head. He wants to meet your needs. And so I'm going to be very general in this moment as we end this service. And we're going to just put some worship on. In fact, uh, Brother Thomas, would you come and help me at the piano? I, I just want to invite you in this moment. And we want to facilitate this moment for you. Because the table of the Lord's presence, and this is the beauty of this table... The table of the Lord's presence can be set anywhere. It can be anywhere. It doesn't have to be here on a Sunday morning. God can prepare a table for you as you're driving to work this week. As you sense frustration, as you hear the enemy lying to you, saying you're never going to do this, or you're never going to get over that, or you're never going to overcome whatever those shortfalls are. When the enemy wants to come and to lie to you, about who you are in Christ, the Lord can prepare a table right there. And the invitation is wide open. He says, come to me. Come to me. If you're weary, if you have anxiety, if you're struggling, come to me. And, and this is what I just felt the Lord wanted me to invite you to do today. Before we leave this place, could we just find an altar? 
and come to the front and, and just let this altar represent the table that the Lord is setting for us. The table that the Lord is setting for us where he wants to meet and supply our every need.